Well, turn in your Bibles to Galatians. Just You can just turn to Galatians chapter 5. That'll be the first place. We're going to look at a lot of verses and things, just seeing how that fits together. But Galatians 5, we're continuing our study of the sayings of Peter. What we've done is got selected things that Peter said. We see how they fit in the context and then how we can apply them. We've seen Jesus... Uh, and his men, right, at this last part of where we are, they're at what they call what we call the Last Supper. It was the Passover meal. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and he taught them several things. Let me do this. This is what he taught them. He taught his disciples about servanthood. That's when he washed their feet and told them to, to serve others. And then he talked about sin and fellowship with him. And that whole idea of washing the feet was basically a, 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 con, a confession aspect, confession of sin. And so we're going to look at this aspect of sin and confession. We saw two big things as we've been going through this, and I'm sure you've got this. I just want to make sure it. We saw, first of all, there's two aspects. There's the relationship with God, which comes by faith. He's calling that in this passage a bath, completely clean. It's eternal life salvation. He says, you're already completely clean. And that means for all of us, the moment we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, it's like we got a bath and we're completely clean. Then there's an aspect of fellowship with God. And there was a washing apart to be clean. And this is where Jesus washed their feet, basically putting them in fellowship. And this would be what we call Christian life salvation or the idea of how do we deal with sin in our lives. So there's two aspects. Every one of us in this room the moment we believed, completely washed, completely a bath. But as we go through life and we sin, we need to have our hands washed. We need to have our feet washed. We need to have something else washed. And that's the, the smaller part, and that's, that's what he's dealing with. So at, we're, it, the, as we're looking at this, we're talking about maintaining our fellowship with God by dealing with sin and confession of sin. So think about this. When we believe in Christ for eternal life, we're saved and saved forever. And we could, but as a Christian, you can lose fellowship with God. You have a relationship that will never end. Now, let me just tell you, we've heard this so much that you say to me, JB, you say this over and over. That's right. I do. And, and you got it. But you realize that most believers don't understand what we're talking about. And if you said to them, there's an eternal aspect of salvation and a fellowship aspect of salvation, they don't grasp it. In fact, so many people think that if you do certain sins, maybe some wrong sins, you, you've lost your salvation. And we know that you can't lose your salvation. There's an eternal relationship with God. And, and then, then as a believer, we can lose our fellowship. So what we did is we raised seven questions dealing with confession of sin. I've got them all answered except the last one. And that's where we started. We got onto this last week. But look, number one, how do we deal with sin? We confess it. Well, what, what is confession? Confession is to tell on yourself. The Greek word means tell on yourself. Why, do, why, need, why is there a need to confess? Because it restores us to fellowship with God, and there's forgiveness, forgiveness of sin in our, in our fellowship with God. How does God respond when we confess? He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And what's so beautiful about it, he forgives the sins we confess, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, even the things we can't remember. Then, what sins do we confess? All that we know about. As we go through life, the moment we recognize we've done something wrong, we've sinned, whether it's a thought or say something or just whatever it might be, we confess it right then. When should we confess sin? Well, I just answered it. As soon as we know it. As soon as we know it, 
we're to confess our sins. That's what we're supposed to do. And so uh, you may go and, and realize something and you haven't confessed it, you haven't dealt with it, and you need to do that. We think about King David. We love David. But what happened with David? When he had the sin with Bathsheba, he tried to cover it up. He saw it. He wanted it. He took it. He hid it. And the best we can tell from Scripture is he may, he may have, it may have been a year before he dealt with his sin. It may have been that. And that's why David says things like, I was hurting and my bones were hurting and your hand was heavy upon me and all those kind of things. And he's saying, so what happens if we do not confess our sin? Okay, What happens to any of us in this room as a believer who have completely bathed but we need to wash? What happens if we don't wash? What happens if we sin and we don't deal with it? Well, we saw last time, review. If we don't confess our sin, there is the loss of fellowship, both with God and others. We are out of fellowship. And, and some people don't think it's a big deal, but it is a big deal to be, and we'll talk more about it as we're, as we're out of fellowship. This ties together. In fact, First John 1, 6 and 7, is we're walking in darkness. Sin is in our lives and we're out of fellowship. Now, you don't want to be out of fellowship with God. I mean, you just don't. That's, that's key. The second thing is we lose the joy of our... Of, I put our salvation there, but in Psalm 51, David says, lose the joy of your salvation. He's actually talking about God and saying, God, you're, you've saved us, and when we're out of fellowship, we lose joy. And you know that. You can be happy. We win a basketball game. I go, yeah, I'm happy, but I might not have joy. If I've got sin in my life, I, might not, I won't have joy. And so it's real simple to say, well, I'm really happy. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on fellowship. And when we sin, and I've sinned in our lives, and we don't deal with that sin, we lose the joy of his salvation, basically. The third thing is we're out of God's will. And we, this is some of the ones here that uh, we talked about last week, and I've got information there for you. When we are sinning, we're not following God's word. And so we're out of God's will because God's will is found in God's word. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible that you've heard me teach about God's will, and we say there is the specific will of God, which is the word of God, and that's the rights and the wrongs. And when the Bible says don't lie or don't cheat or do this or study this, those are all God's will and we're to do those. There are a lot of situations that we make choices that God hasn't given us revelation, and you have free to make any choice you want to make. That's another whole study, and we've done that before, and we can do it again sometime. But we're out of God's will when we're out of fellowship because we're not following the Word of God, and God's Word is found in His will. You can't serve God. John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If you're out of fellowship with God, have you got, do you have God's power? In your life, are you, a, are you operating on God's power when you're out of fellowship? No, so you can't really do anything. You might do something good, but there won't be any results of that in the way that you would like for it to be. God can take an unbeliever, and he can take a believer, and he can take us in whatever situation, and he can use us for his glory. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be that good for you because this next one ties in there. We lose rewards. When you're out of fellowship, you're not getting the rewards that you would have got. Let me say it this way. I want to make sure it's clear. When we say you lose rewards, we don't mean that you've got rewards Then you sin, and then you lose the rewards that God was going to give you. No, what we're saying is when you're out of fellowship and you have sin, you're not able to gain rewards that you would have had. So we're saying you lose rewards. You lose the opportunity for rewards. When we don't deal with sin, we're out of fellowship. We're not able to serve him, and we lose rewards. Listen, we're going to stand. Every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Let me remind you, the judgment seat of Christ is not bad. It's not a bad time, so to speak. It is where God rewards you for your service. 
Judgment, the word judgment is bema, B-E-M-A in the Greek, and it means a rewarding stand. It's a place where God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, it is true that if you stand before him and you haven't served him, he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to bring up your sins. Sins are not a part of your judgment. God has already judged your sin. It's been placed on Christ as far as the east as the west. Believers will never stand before God for sin. Because our sin has been taken away, it's been this gone. But we will stand before him for how we lived and what we did and our works and our good things. And, and so Second Corinthians 5.10, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded, recompensed for the things that we've done in this body, whether good or worthless. Worthless things are done, not in the, in the power. So anyway, First Corinthians 3 says there's gonna be, it's going to be tested by fire. There will be gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and straw. Whichever one's burned up, it's gone. There's no rewards. Whatever remains, you'll be rewarded. It's really powerful truth. First Corinthians 9, Paul says, run the race so you get what? You get the prize. I've had people say, I don't want rewards. I said, really, you're crazy if you don't want rewards. You've lost your mind if you don't want to stand before Jesus and he say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what he wants. He's told us to do it. He says, run the race so you may get the prize. The next one is a loss of testimony. When you have sin in your life, can, sometimes can people sin, see the sin in your life? The answer is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can see it. And, and we're, we are not living in the light. The truth is, when we're living in sin, uh, that we look like an unbeliever. Now, this may surprise you. In Galatians 5, uh, think about this. Look at uh, Galatians 5, beginning at verse 19, okay? Because he says, this is what we're like, okay? We have two aspects there. There's the deed of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The deeds of the flesh is what comes out when we're controlled by the flesh. Now, when we got sin in our life, what are we controlled by? Spirit or the flesh? Flesh. When we're in, the, we're in fellowship with God, we're controlled by the Spirit. So look at the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the Spirit. Look at the deeds of the flesh, which is in Galatians 5, 19. Look at this. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which means what? They're easily seen. Okay, watch. Which are immorality, whoops, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Oh, I, I, I don't have an idol. Do you have anything in front of God? Sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, Indian, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And he just stops there. He says, that's enough. That's what comes out, right? Can people see those things? If you get mad and you cut somebody out, if you give somebody a bad sign, if you do those kind of things, can people see that? Do people know something? Okay, so if you're out of fellowship, what's coming out? Think about it. Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, anger, disputes. That's what comes out. And sometimes you say, well, I, I, I don't get mad. I just don't say anything. You're mad. You're mad. Yeah, I'm not going to talk to them anymore. You're mad. Look what's coming out in your life. I mean, but look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Remember, we lost the joy of his salvation. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against us. There is no law. That, what that means is you can't make a law that makes people do that. It's got to come from the Spirit. It's not from the law. You can't tell, here's the law, uh, be patient. The law, the law won't make you be patient. In fact, a law will make you be the opposite of patient, Okay. Now, I want you to think about something. Um, when you're out of fellowship, you know who you look like? 
Who do you look like when you're out of fellowship? You ever thought about it? You look like an unbeliever. You realize that? What is unbel- how do unbelievers live? In the power of the what? The flesh. That's all they have. If you're living in the flesh and they're living in the flesh, what do you look like? An unbeliever. A lot of people don't think that. In fact, I have a lot of people say, you see John over there? You see how he lives? Obviously, he's not a Christian because a Christian won't live that way. Yes, he can. You can't, you can't say a person's a Christian or not a Christian by the way they live. You can't, you can't tell that. Okay? So let me show you something. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says you're walking like mere men. You look like an unbeliever. In that 1 Corinthians passage, chapter 2 and chapter 3, he says there are three kind of people. There is the natural man. It comes from the word nephesh, which means soul. It's unsaved. We have souls. Everybody has a soul. A soul relates to the world around us. A, world, a soul is where you have your mind, emotion, and will. An unbeliever is called a soulish person. Then there is the believer who's called a spiritual believer because you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then there's a carnal believer, and there's a carnal person which is controlled by the flesh. And by the way, you can be an unbeliever and be carnal because you're controlled by the flesh, of course. And you can be a believer and be carnal because you're controlled by the flesh. So, so when, when a believer, let me ask you this. If a believer is carnal and controlled by the flesh, what do they look like? Exactly. Exactly. So you lose your testimony. When you live out of fellowship with God, you're looking like an unbeliever. Look at this verse. For you are, he's writing, Paul is writing to who? Corinthians. Who are they? They're a church made up of who? Believers. Listen, the letters aren't written to believers and unbelievers. When it says to the church in Corinth, he's talking to the believers in Corinth. The church is the body of Christ. Okay? So he's writing to them, and he says, you are still what? How are they living? Do you realize in the church at Corinth, they got drunk at the Lord's Supper, denied the resurrection, had lawsuits with one another. Some guy was having sex with his stepmother. They were cheating on their taxes. They were, they were doing everything you could name that's wrong. And when Paul wrote them, he said, you know what? You're still what? He said, you look like unbelievers. You're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? That's carnal, by the way. These are carnal what? Carnal believers. He says, are you not walking like what? Mere men. You look like unbelievers. So when we as believers get out of fellowship with God and live so-called badly, you might say, we look like unbelievers. And that's why throughout history, everybody wants to judge and decide if they think somebody's a Christian or not. If you, you talk about that, right? Oh, he, he's not a Christian because a real Christian wouldn't do some of those things. Is a real Christian capable of anything? Yes. Of course we are. Why? We still have the what? Flesh. We're capable of any sin. Take heed lest you think you stand, you fall. We're capable of any sin. Put us in the wrong place at the wrong time. What we might do? Wrong thing. So you can't look at a person and say they're a believer or unbeliever but, but by their lifestyle. And that's why when people say, you'll know them by their fruits, first of all, that passage is talking about false prophets, and the fruits is their message, not their lifestyle, because they look like sheep. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, so they look like believers, 
yet their message is false. And that's why they're called false prophets. And that's why you know them by their fruits. Their fruits is not their lifestyle. Their fruits is their message. Nowhere does the Bible go around saying you know somebody as a believer because of their lifestyle. You know they're a believer by their message. Right? So he says, look how you look. You look like an unbeliever. So when we're out, and, and that, so as I said, that's when you have lost your testimony. The next one is your discipline by God. Now, this is no fun. Uh, let me just say this. Be honest. Have you ever been disciplined by God? I have. I have. I was coaching at Mississippi State, and I'm just going to tell you, I, I was a believer, and, do, and I started doing some things that were wrong. And I don't ever want to think about it again, about what he, what, yeah, God, God was merciful and gracious, but he disciplined me. And I want to show you something. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I just want you to see why he disciplines us and what sort of things that he does. Hebrews 12. And we'll start with, with, um, well, we've got Hebrews 12, 6, but we're going to start back at verse 5. So it, it, tell me when you're there. Are you there? Okay, Hebrews 12, 5. Look what he says. And have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as, my, as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. He says, don't, don't take as lightly when God disciplines you, when God comes to get you, right? Well, notice what he says. For whom, for those whom the Lord does what? What does it say? Loves. It didn't say for whom God hates or whom God's disappointed with. God, uh, God's so disappointed he's going to discipline you. No, he says, for whom I love you, I'm going to discipline you. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son he receives. Every child of God that openly disobeys God and goes off, God disciplines them. He disciplines his children. And so if you have sin in your life and we're not confessing it and not dealing with it, what's he going to do to us? He's going to get the switch. And you can't run from him. You can run around. And I, my grandmama used to grab my arm, and she had that switch. And you, you're trying to run, but all she has to do is hold your arm, and you're in a circle, and you can't get away, right? Same thing. He look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as what? Was it right? Are y'all watching it? Are y'all reading it? Does anybody know it? For God deals with you as what? Son. Ch- sons, children. For what son is there that the father doesn't discipline? It's in if you you should expect when you sin and don't deal with it that God would deal with you. Okay. Look at verse 10. Talking about earthly fathers. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share his what? What's the purpose of God's discipline to a believer when we're out of fellowship with God? To get us back into fellowship, to get us living right, to get us to be holy. That's what he says. And then verse 11, what was 10, I think. Yeah, it it hurts, but the end result is holiness. Look at verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah. But sorrowful, Yeah. I'm sorry he disciplined me. How about you? Have you ever, and it wasn't, it wasn't great when he was happening, was it? You say, oh, I'd just like to do this for like 30 years. No, you would not. All discipline for the moment is not joyful but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, that means learn from it, 
afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. When you're out of fellowship, your heavenly Father is going to discipline you if you stay out of fellowship. Now, I mean, we sin, you're out of fellowship, you confess that you're back in fellowship. You know, we'll talk more about some other things in a little bit. But when you sin and, and you don't deal with it and you basically say, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want to do. Be real careful when we say to God, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work, let me just tell you. And even when you know what's wrong and you still keep doing it on purpose, uh, you expect that, that your Heavenly Father will discipline you. Look at this right here. Uh, well, that the, the fruit of righteousness. That's, uh, it ends up being that you end up being trained by it and you end up growing as a Christian. You end up being a righteous, godly person. Let me tell you, when, 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 I, when I was not doing really good, uh, I was miserable. And then God began to discipline me. And I, I woke up and I said, I w- I'm going to start with, I want to live for the Lord. This, this is not any good. And my life has never been the same since then. Because he loves me and he loves you. And so he says, uh, I don't want you to think you're getting away with it. I don't want you to get away with it because it's not going to do you any good to live in sin. Right? Because when you stand before me, I'm not going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to be embarrassed. Well, look at this. Psalm 51, 8. David wrote this and he said, my bones which you have broken. Now he's confessing his sin. And I think David's not saying that God broke his arm, but I think he's saying is the, oh, I was in pain, my body wasn't doing right. He said, my body burned, the heaviness of your hand was upon me. I think God made David sick. Let me ask you this question. Uh, y'all know that the Corinthians, when they were having the Lord's Supper, that they had two different things. They had what they called an agape feast and the Lord's Supper. They would come together and eat a meal and have the Lord's Supper. That was wonderful. It was a great time. But some people got there, and they had food, and other people didn't have food, and they wouldn't share it with them. And some people were hungry, and some people people were full, and some people got drunk, and they were drunk when they took the Lord's Supper. And so all of a sudden, some of those believers got sick. And then some of them felt horrible, and some of them died. And when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 11, he said, because of what you're doing with the Lord's Supper, not confessing sin, not, live, not doing anything. He said, some of you are weak, some of you, some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some of you sleep. That means they died. They died. You ever heard of Ananias and Sapphira? Who's heard of them? Early church? They sold some land. Everybody, everybody could bring anything. If you had whatever you want to, you could do anything you want. You could say, you know, I got money. I'm going to take it up to the apostles, and I'm going to give it to them and say, y'all just give it out to anybody that has a need. A guy by the name of Barnabas, we know him, he had some land. He sold it. Let's just pretend he got $100 for the And he brings it to the apostles and said, I sold some land for 100 bucks. Here it is. Ananias and Sapphira were a couple and they thought, we're going to sell something. And let's say they sold it for 100 But they decided they were going to keep 50 of it, which is nothing wrong with that. They could have said, I sold some land, sold it for about 100 but we're giving 50 to the apostles. But what they said was this, we sold it for 100 They kept 50 Or actually, they came up and said, we sold it for 50 
And immediately they were lying. They were lying to the apostles, and they lied to the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, "Mm, this is not going to end well. But you've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And Ananias died right there. And they wrapped him up and took him out, and his wife didn't know about it. And she came in three hours later, and Peter said, Did you and your husband sell the land for 50 bucks? And she said, Yes. And he went, You've lied. You're going to, same thing going to happen to you, happen to your husband. She died right there. Now, have you lied before? Are you still alive? Call that the grace of God, right? I mean, God takes sin seriously. Listen to this. This is David, Psalm 32. When I kept silent about my sin, when I didn't confess my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. What happened to him? He began to feel sick. He didn't feel good at all. In fact, he felt like he was dying. He felt, he felt and he might, might have been. He said, for day and night, my, your hand was on me, heavy. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah, that means to rest as a stop port. When David did not deal with his sin, what did God do? He disciplined him. He brought Nathan to him. And when he brought Nathan to him, David said, I did wrong. I I sinned before God. And then you read Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. That's where David is confessing his sins. He wrote them down so every person ever reading the Bible could read David saying, I blew it. Now, be thankful. You don't have to write yours down, right? It's not in a book that everybody can read. God disciplines his children for growth. Now, I've got some related questions, and I'm going to stop here, and we're going to take those up next week. But let me show you what the questions are, okay? Do we need to feel sorry for sin? Does confession of sin remove the consequences and the discipline? What about forgiving others? How, how How do we forgive others, and how does God forgive us? Let me get on past that for just a second. And then, do we confess our sins to others? So those are some questions. They're at the end. And so save that for next week. And we'll talk about those. And then we'll get some applications. And we'll see how that fits together. There's a lot of good stuff here. Those are pretty hard questions. Because I know that some people say, yes, if you don't feel sorry for sin, you're not really confessing it. Really? Really? Well, what about does, if you confess your sin, then the discipline God was going to give you, it, it doesn't come? So some people say. Uh, I will forgive somebody if they ask for forgiveness. Is that right? Is that how we do it? And then, do you ever confess your sins to somebody else?